Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into my top 10 old films seen in 2018 in today's episode. What's this? What's this? The simply sensational standing ovation old Royal Dalton musical. What is this? The episodes dealing with 2018 are still going, uh, still a couple more of those left to, to talk about, but uh, today's episode is, if you ever need, um, I don't know, we, so many new movies come out nowadays, you know, you compare the number of new movies that came out in 2018 to the number of new movies that came out in 1970, 1960, 1950, 1940, and it's exponentially greater. And it seems to be increasing every year. Uh, maybe not necessarily theatrical films. Uh, that number has, you know, not gone up quite nearly as much, given that there just, I don't know, there just can't be as enough movie theaters to cover and and hold all those movies. But when you factor in Netflix and Amazon, all these other streaming platforms. Uh, television movies things uh, they're just the number just stretches far and far and farther and farther out uh, you know looking at say something like letterboxd 1950 according to letterboxd uh had released 1363 films in 1950 that's a lot of movies uh, you know most people it would take quite some time to to figure that out According to Letterboxd, in 2018, there were 13,858 films released. 13,000. How, who has, uh, I haven't even seen 13,000 films in my life, let alone from one single year. Now, this includes a bunch of short films, a bunch of homemade films, a bunch of specials and and you know variable formats but suffice to say it just gets more and more difficult to to keep up but if 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 maybe keeping up isn't your thing you know a lot of people are a little cynical about the movies coming out nowadays and i i, I can't blame them you know i i think for me personally while there are still plenty of incredible films released every year, as far as I've experienced, that doesn't mean that they're always better than the old stuff. You know, I think we all have, you know, in the back of our minds, some kind of list of looking into, oh man, such and such a film from five years ago, I really need to check out. Or, you know, man, this thing won, I don't know, 10 Oscars the year it came out. Like, I should really... See what the fuss is all about. What's 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 going on with this thing? And a lot of people, there are so many great resources and, and top 100, top 200, top 300, top 1,000 lists out there that are incredibly great places to start if you want to find uh, new films from decades and decades ago that can kind of find their way into you know, your favorite films, 
So I think that it's it's so much fun to kind of explore these old movies. I, I really enjoy balancing, you know, seeing 300, you know, films that came out this year with seeing a thousand films that came out over a decade ago. I, I love that. I, I think there's so many films to discover, so many films to, to explore in the old decades. And that's that's what this episode is. So I did a lot, a lot of movie watching this in 2018. And a lot of it was from years well before I was born. <laughs> and today's episode is going to be the top 10 films I saw that were released prior to 2018, and as such, uh, only three of them, yeah, only three of these films were released after 2000, none of them were released uh, in the 2010s. So a strong old list uh, with, as far as I'm concerned, some pretty fantastic films on it, most of which I'm sure I've already mentioned uh, on previous top 10 of the month episodes that I've done. But some of those happened forever ago, and uh, maybe it's a little fresher, maybe it's a movie you heard, were interested in, and forgot about, uh, or maybe it's an episode you missed, or something like that. So I won't go super in-depth into these, into these films uh, for that exact reason, but I will kind of give a cursory glance over them and what I can recall about them and, and why I think that they're as good as they are. So, that being said, let's move in to my top 10 films that I saw in 2018 that came out before 2018. Number 10 is a film from 1950. That's where we start. Uh, I saw this April 4th last year. It's about 80, it's about 96 minutes long. My brief summary, a teenage newlywed is sent to prison as an accessory to robbery. I gave this film an 89. Uh, it does not have a Rotten Tomato score. It is directed by John Cromwell. Um, he is also direct, he directed a bunch of things um, that I've seen. He directed uh, Anna and the King of Siam. Uh, of Human Bondage is his most popular film on Letterboxd. Uh, Humphrey Bogart in Dead Reckoning. Quite a few films. He's got 45 directing credits on Letterboxd. It stars Eleanor Parker, Agnes Moorhead, Ellen Corby, Hope Emerson, Betty Gard, and Jan Sterling, among others. This film was nominated for three, three Oscars, uh, including Eleanor Parker for Best Lead Actress, Hope Emerson for Best Supporting Actress, and... Virginia Kellogg and Bernard C. Schoenfeld for best writing, storing, story, and screenplay. So, it was a well-received well film when it came out. Uh, it has a 3.8 average rating on Letterboxd, and that is Caged. Caged. So, Caged is, if you, you know, based on the description, kind of uh, Orange is the New Black, but 70 years ago. Uh, I, my... <laughs> My memories of it, I, I definitely uh, think Eleanor Parker well-deserved that nomination. I think she's fantastic in this. And my concern watching the film, I remember, was that it could get it could turn a little lifetimey. 
And there was definitely shades of that in the first few minutes. But once we really got into the prison, once we really got to understand and learn these other characters that she was going to be spending her time with, uh, I, those concerns kind of just fell away and, and disappeared. I, you know, this this feels like a film that paved the way for something like an Orange is, new Black, is the New Black to be successful, you know, and, and I'm sure a, a multitude of other films in that time span between these two things. But, and it just, it, it, it follows her, similar to how you follow Piper in Orange is the New Black, from this frightened, scared woman who, you know, doesn't think she belongs in this prison, and probably doesn't belong in this prison, and how, <clears throat> you know, we all kind of, any of us who've never been in jail, uh, including myself, you know, we, we have this idea in our heads of what prison is like. We've seen it on TV shows, we've seen it in movies, uh, maybe we know somebody who's been there, maybe we've visited somebody who's been there, maybe we've driven past one, maybe we've, you know, who, you know, I don't know. We all have this idea of, of these things that we expect to be going on, that we expect to, to take place if, if ever the, the worst should happen, and we end up there. And from Eleanor Parker, who plays Marie Allen's point of view, I think, I'm sure she had the same thoughts. And when you get there, as I'm sure, uh, I think most uh, experiences end up being once you finally have them, some things are significantly worse than you expect, but other things are probably significantly better than you expect. You know, I think... If, if your idea of prison is just everyone is is out to shank you 24-7, I doubt it. I don't personally think it's like that, but I'm sure some people do. And I think the realization that it's more of a, that that is more of an extreme than a than a common occurrence, uh, you know, is would be a relief, honestly. Whereas... Some, I think some TV shows, some movies display, you know, food or rec time as far more lenient and, um, and, and, and satisfactory than it likely is in some instances. So watching Marie Allen kind of go through that, those gears turning in her head as such X you know, is a little bit better than she expected. Why is a lot worse than she expected. And, and growing accustomed to this life and slowly assimilating herself into this world is fascinating. And I, th I found it very, very engaging. Uh, and uh, a lot of that is Eleanor Parker. And a lot of that is John Cromwell. You know, his direction is pretty pretty good and and it doesn't shy away from dark subject matter which it can't because of the the material that's on display and that's what i that's kind of what i mean when i think it it had the very high potential to be more of a lifetime movie and thankfully the movie steers away from that direction so for me caged is my number 10 caged number 9 
is the most recent released film that is on this list. Uh, it's a 2009 film. It's a documentary that won Best Documentary at the Oscars. I saw it February 26th, 2018. It's about 86 minutes long. Uh, might be the shortest film. No, not quite, but it's nearly the shortest film on this list. Uh, my brief summary, activists try to expose dolphin slaughter. If that's not a tagline, I don't know what is. I gave it an 89. It has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Louis Zahoyas. Zahoyas? Uh, he is the director of Racing Extinction from 2015. And from last year, The Game Changers, which I didn't see. I did see Racing Extinction, and uh, I thought it was fine. So it was fine. The, uh, this movie is The Cove. Now, this, this this is a fascinating documentary because it's 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 not Talking Heads, it, you know. We, last last year's best documentary winner was Icarus, uh, which followed a guy who was kind of just trying to understand doping and what that meant and how that worked in in the grand scheme of bike bicycle racing, but. He ultimately stumbled on uh, something far greater than just merely the effects of doping. And it led him down a path of corruption and collusion and breaking the law and illegal circumstances and all that kind of stuff. The Cove basically starts at that midpoint from Icarus with its subject matter. We start with... Terrible, 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 terrible things are happening, and uh, we're going to do something about it. And this film, The Cove, documents this incredibly brave uh, group of people who set out to expose and uh, ultimately uh, kind of, uh, what's, the, what's the term I'm looking for, uh, expose and shut down uh, these covert, uh, th these covered up atrocities that are taking place in Japan. Uh, there's, the cove refers to a specific location where dolphins are kind of herded into this area. Some are picked out to be trained uh, in various um, places. What's the, uh, sea worlds and, and things like that. But then after that, the ones that aren't picked are ferry are, are herded around to a second, smaller cove uh, where they are subsequently and um, emotionlessly slaughtered in the water. And one of the early shots in the film shows of, uh, you know, is from the first cove looking out at the sort of, uh, jetty that separates the two areas and you can see the red filter through uh, filter out into the ocean from behind that that area of all the blood from these dolphins <clears throat> it is horrifying and this is a film that takes Ocean's Eleven and makes it real, gives it 
incredibly high stakes uh, and you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know if everyone's going to make it and, you know, avoid incarceration and avoid, you know, being discovered and spotted. And it's an absolutely fascinating, fascinating film and one that I think just, I I don't know, I, I was on the edge of my seat watching this the entire way through. It's horrifying to to see these these unspeakable acts being committed against these beautiful creatures and you know the whole time you've you, you're rooting for you you know this team this documentary activist team and it doesn't it seems very very unlikely that they will succeed in just about any at anything that they're doing uh, they go to the first cove the other the second cove is completely off limits they are able to like they have access to the first one but every time they go there with cameras there are just people walking and meandering and and loitering around the area who will put their hands in front of the camera lens that's all they do that's all they're there for like like it's it's so secretive and and ingrained in these people and 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 it's so much worse than they ever thought it could be you know it's it just each new revelation is is more and more horrifying so yeah it's it's not a fun movie but it is a good movie it is a very great great movie that is the cove from 2009 um, best documentary feature winner that year at the Oscars number eight number eight is a 2002 film uh, called from that I saw May 12th 2018 it's about 104 minutes long my summary two men begin a friendship as they care for two women in comas I gave this a 90. It has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is a foreign language film directed by Pedro Almodovar, starring Leonor Watling, Rosario Flores, Javier Camara, Dario Grandinetti, Mariola Fuentes, Geraldine Chaplin, and Pina Bosch, among others, uh, including Paz Vega as a recognizable name and this is talk to her uh so i've seen some uh some some pedro almodovar now uh this uh, i think was my third film of his at the time Uh, i'm not sure if i saw it before after julieta uh julieta was fine i i wasn't super impressed or underwhelmed by julieta it was it was fine uh, but Volver, which I had seen shortly before, not too long before Talk to Her, uh, I was I loved Volver. I thought it was great. And Talk to Her was even better. Even better. Um, it, the story at first glance felt, uh, I don't know, a little, uh, not, uh, not literally, but sort of, in in spirit it kind of felt a little rapey 
uh, you know, two guys not unconscious caring for two women who are unconscious. And uh, based on, you know, the level of knowledge that the women have about these guys, which is not very big, um, it's, uh, it feels a little creepy. It feels a little creepy. And uh, these two guys, uh, Javier Camara and uh, Dario Grandinetti, they, you know, kind of become friends uh, during this period of time. And it, it just, everything about it is so awkward and in in unnatural and and very strange and you look at letterboxd it has a 3.9 average rating but a lot of the there are a lot of half star one star reviews because it's um it it, just, it it really does kind of strike a chord in a lot of people, and I, I totally, totally understand that. I think that that is a you know there's nothing absolutely there's absolutely nothing wrong with that sort of misogynistic view of this movie because so many aspects of it do feel a little misogynistic, uh, a little vile, and uh, it's it's kind of terrifying at times. Uh, but I, I think uh, I, I I don't know. It, it's tough to I, I don't know. Let me. It's it's a, not an easy movie to digest, and get you know it's in a foreign language. Um, with foreign actors, foreign director, foreign locale, uh, it's it's incredibly, incredibly racy. And to say that I understood 100% of this movie would be a fallacy. I, I'm sure, and who can say they understand 100% of every movie? But, or of any movie, not every movie. But the question is, like, how much of that of the movie is is... If, if I'm if I'm not picking up on everything, at what point would I you know would I be able to? Is there a point where if I'd understood more, I would feel the way these other people felt? I would feel uh, as if this film was taking advantage of these characters, taking advantage and and abusing these relationships. It's a tough. It's a tough film, and I I wish I wish I understood it better to be able to talk about it more. Uh, let me see here. Let me see here. Let me see here. I want to try to come to a little some better terms here. Let me let me get let me get let me hold on a second. I think I guess I, ultimately what I want to say uh, about talk to her. Uh, the title comes from the sort of uh, advice that uh, uh, Benigno 
gives to Marco. So these are the two guys. Uh, he gives Marco this advice, like, hey, talk to her. You know, the, the, they might be in comas, but like, talk to her. It's it's good to share what you're thinking, share your feelings, your emotions, and all that. Uh, but you know, they they can be responsive. It can it can soothe you know the unconscious mind and that sort of thing. You know, it, it just uh, it's a helpful exercise. And things. Uh, when things take a turn, uh, specifically revolving around Benino's character, there's nothing good about what he does. You know, between Marco and Benino, Benino is is a horrible, horrible person. Uh, maybe, maybe he he might. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I I think Benino is a little ignorant to to this part of him and and him himself being so disgusting but uh, he he is and margot is far more uh normal in that sense you know i don't i don't remember marco doing anything wrong in that sense but I think the reason there's so many opponents to this movie is because what Benigno does isn't it's it's it bears consequences but I don't but only from the the events that happen and I think less so from the script if that makes sense and that is my biggest critique of the film and you know otherwise I probably would have rated it higher but I don't, know, I don't know. It's it's a film that's told in a very uh, it's it's not told in a straightforward in a straight line chronologically. It has fantastic performances. It doesn't just give you the happy ending. It it just it, so many so many things are are left unraveled and left untied up at the end but they resolve naturally as real life would and I, I, I and I think as they are supposed to uh, it Benigno Javier Camaro's Benigno as despicable of a character as he is I think he gives perhaps the best performance in the film and the build up to his awfulness uh, you know, it, it it is such a wallop in the gut, and I don't know. It's it's a big movie that asks a lot out of its viewers, and I I don't recommend it for everybody. But if you're interested, talk to her from Pedro Almodovar. My number eight. Okay, let's move on uh, to my number seven. I saw this March 11th, 2018. It's a little over two hours long. It's from 1948. 1948. My summary. Three men discover gold, and it leads to greed. I gave this a 90. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by John Huston, who has directed a lot of things. Uh, the Maltese Falcon, The African Queen, The Asphalt Jungle, Pritzi's Honor, The Misfits, and so on. Uh, John Huston directed this. It stars Humphrey Bogart, Walter Huston, 
Tim Holt, Bruce Bennett, Barton McLean, Alfonso Bedoya, among others. And this is the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. This is, uh, I mean, this is just kind of a seminal film. It predates so many fantastic plots, more than films, I think. Uh, you know, the, the idea of a couple of people found something worth a lot of money and now they all want to take it for themselves is, is kind of this. You know, it's these guys defending the gold that they find and from, from bandits, from the elements, from everything. And then ultimately, the thing that is the most dangerous to the to the gold is their greed it's you know it's it's three people fighting over i don't know it's like a i don't know it's like an animated short film like three dogs fighting over steak and you know you can see all three of them have their teeth into it they're all pulling it in the same direction or a different direction and uh Finally, the steak snaps out of all their mouths and like flies up into the air and ends up on top of the roof and no one gets it kind of a thing. Uh, and the treasure, the treasure of the Sierra Madre is everybody wants this gold and they all want it for themselves. You've got incredible performances uh, from Humphrey Bogart, from Walter Houston, from Tim Holt, who I believe play the, the yes, they play the trio of men. And they, um, man, they, they, it just, I think it's a little long. That's my biggest knock against the film. But this is my favorite Bogart performance. This, you know, Houston is able to completely, um, just, just mine this film for all the tension and paranoia and suspicion uh, that that creates a, a an, an aura of greed and desire and betrayal constantly. It's I, I think it's something that everyone should see because it is so seminal. I, I think that's the perfect word to describe it as a you know in in relation to cinema you know you look at 1948 and it just it was one of the best films of that year one of the best films of that decade and i think it, it deserves the reputation it's garnered as a 4.2 average on letterboxd you know find somebody who gave it less than four stars is not easy so yeah the treasure of the sierra madre it's a great film. Great film. Moving on to number six. Uh, the last film on this top ten list that came out after 2000. Came out in 2003. Uh, from May 18th, 2018. That's when I saw it. It's 103 minutes long. It is a foreign language film. My summary, a boy is raised by a Buddhist monk. I gave this a 91. It has a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Kim Ki-duk. And uh, it stars 
Kim Ki-duk, Kim Young-min, Ha Yo-jin, Oh Young-soo, and Seo Jae-kyung, among others. I've talked about this, uh, you know, this is the first Kim Ki-duk film I've seen, I saw, and it led me into a couple of other films of his, and uh, I'm hoping to find, eventually see even more of his movies, because spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring is a magnificent, magnificent film. And I wasn't sure what I was getting into when I first saw it. Spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. It chronicles five segments, each taking place in the titular uh, season, of a monk who starts out as a young boy uh, and, and becomes a monk and an old man as the years pass by. And there are so many observational cinematic shots in nature in this movie. It takes place around a small lake, for the most part, that in winter is frozen over. You know, in spring, everything blossoms. In the fall, it's all the leaves are falling off. And more than anything, the depiction and... Not evolution, but growth, I guess is a better term, of life depicted in this film is almost, I, I, you know, almost unparalleled. You know, the I would put this in the same category as something like boyhood as far as, you know, showing someone growing up and, and showing life and how life moves and changes as we do. It's absolutely a brilliant display of, of a character growing and changing, but still staying the same. Still stay, staying the same. Uh, my favorite, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes, one of the things I, I remember most about it is when our main character is a young boy, he goes out and, as as young kids have been known to do, kind of tortures some animals and ties like a rock around uh, a frog and throws it into a pond and it sinks and does not survive. And in retaliation for that, uh, this older monk who is kind of training him, who he lives with, while the boy is sleeping, ties a rock to the boy's back. Big rock. And uh, it just uh, the, the watching the boy like try to stand up, try to roll over, uh, try to like climb the side of a a hill and, and just like it's it's bordering on the on it borders the line of like this is a little too extreme of a punishment. But it's it's so beautifully constructed, and and it makes so much sense in the context of this film, and I, I think it's brilliant. I, I love spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring, and I highly recommend it to anybody. No reservations about recommending it, none at all. So that's my number six. 
Number five is a film from 1951. I saw it February 18th, 2018. It's 111 minutes long. My summary, a journalist exposes a story about a man trapped in a cave, wringing it for all it's worth. I gave this a 94. It has an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. It is directed by Billy Wilder, who is one of my favorite directors. He has also directed Sunset Boulevard, The Apartment, Some Like It Hot, Double Indemnity, Sabrina, Witness for the Prosecution, The Lost Weekend, The Seven Year Itch, Stalag 17, Love in the Afternoon, and more. I haven't even seen half of his movies. It stars Kirk Douglas, Jan Sterling, Robert Arthur, Porter Hall, Frank Cady, Richard Benedict, and others. And it is called Ace in the Hole. Ace in the Hole referring to the man trapped in the uh, cave who is Kirk Douglas. Uh, not, the man is not Kirk Douglas, but the man is Kirk Douglas's uh, Ace in the Hole. He is a reporter. He learns about uh, this, this guy trapped here. And he decides, hey, I can, I can use this. And slowly this... One guy trapped in a cave, uh, only he, he becomes solely reliant on Kirk Douglas's uh, Chuck Tatum character. And the scene of the cave becomes just this huge, huge circus of, of media and reporters and all these people trying to get a piece of this story. But Kirk Douglas, he's, he's got the access. And... The film is mostly about uh, Chuck Tatum's drive for success and its slow corruption therein of him. And I think it, it, it is such a great display of sort of, man, man's just, man, gender-specific man, uh, sort of um, folly of confidence and and uh, lack of willing to to admit a mistake and to to you know just inability to stop once the train gets started. Uh, it's it's it's. It's a fascinating film, and and it really does sort of sort of prick and and scrape and scratch and and claw its way into like the the true essence of the male ego, and Kirk Douglas is the perfect representation for for the male ego, and for, to his credit, he gives an incredible performance um, as. On one side, the the very uh, overconfident and and pompous early early character of Chuck Tatum, and then ultimately, as he slowly comes to realize the folly of and, and error of his ways, he we do see the vulnerable aspects of him. He does show us more sides, and I think Kirk Douglas does a great job in this film. Great, great job from Kirk Douglas. So that's Ace in the Hole from 1951. Number four is another foreign language film from 2000 from 1998, excuse me. I saw it April 11th, uh, 2018. It is 83 minutes long. This is 
the shortest film of the of this top 10 list my summary two teenage girls struggle with their homosexuality i gave this a 95 it has a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes it is directed by lucas moodison who the only other film of his i've seen is we are the best from 2013 which i also liked quite a bit uh but i like uh, show me love or its original title uh fucking amal Amal being the city that most of this takes place in, uh, or not city might be a little uh, ex- a little bit of an exaggeration, but town, a small town rather, and it fall and it stars uh, Alexandra Dahlstrom as Elin and Rebecca Liljeberg, Liljeberg uh, as Agnes among many others, uh, Elin and Agnes are just two girls who don't really know what they are and and to that degree don't know you know are are, are rebelling against themselves rebelling against their family their friends and they, they you know agnes and Elin aren't exactly friends uh, when this movie starts you know they go to school together but Elin is kind of kind of a bully and Agnes is a little more reserved I guess I think am I getting these I might be having these names backwards Um, no I have the no Agnes is yes okay uh, and through some sort of happenstance, uh, Agnes ends up being invited to Elin's birthday party and turns up and ends up being, you know, the only guest to show up. But, and, and sort of through this bond, this, this sort of unfamiliar relationship, they kind of have to come to terms with what they with with who they are and and what they feel and it takes a lot of time uh it, it takes a lot of introspection it takes a lot of you know resisting to get over and to to get to a point where yeah i i i accept who i am and it's not easy and I think this is one of the best films I've seen that really shows the the inner struggle and and um, inner debate that rages on when you know there's an aspect of you that you know it's true you you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a part of you and this is who you are and this is what you feel and think and yet you can't bring yourself to share that with other people you can't bring yourself to admit it to somebody else and even when somebody else you know they feel the same way you know that they share your thoughts and feelings and opinions in this sense uh it's still difficult and uh, i just i i love how at times uh, you know tender and at times uh, harsh this this film can be with these 
emotions. I I absolutely adored it. I absolutely adored it. And I think both Dahlstrom and Liljeburg are are incredible as Elin and and Agnes. Um, Show Me Love uh, from 1998. Show Me Love, our alternative title, Fucking a Mall, is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And my number four. Old film that I saw in 2018. Number three is fitting, given the title of the film, as you will soon find out. I saw this May 16th, 2018. Uh, It's a little over two hours long. It's from 1977. My summary, two women share a bizarre relationship. Uh, I gave it a 95. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Robert Altman, a director I'm generally not a big fan of. He's also directed McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, The Long Goodbye, The Player, MASH, Shortcuts, Gosford Park, A Prairie Home Companion, among others. Uh, starring Shelley Duvall, Sissy Spacek, Janice Rule, Robert Fortier, Ruth Nelson, John Cromwell, uh, and Sierra Pichua, Pichur, among others, uh, is uh, three women. My number three is three women. This, I, you know, I wouldn't have even expected it to be an Altman movie after having seen it. But so ultimately what ends up happening is Shelley Duvall and Sissy Spacek end up working together. And... She, you know, Sissy Spacek is awkward, and uh, she kind of becomes attached to Shelley Duvall, and they end up, you know, hanging out at this bar, uh, which is owned by uh, a cowboy, has-been cowboy, and his pregnant artist wife. The wife, Sissy Spacek, Shelley Duvall... It's it's so tough to kind of explain this movie in a way that makes sense. And I don't know. Think of um, anytime you interact with a new person, anytime you connect with a new person, and suddenly that person becomes very, very much a part of your life, whether that's, you know, it's somebody you work with all the time. Maybe it's a new best friend that, you know, you just can't get enough of. Maybe it's a new relationship, something, something, something. I think what generally happens, maybe subtly, maybe overtly, maybe in one instance, maybe in a dozen instances, you pick up traits of that person. You maybe speak with the same cadence, or you make some of the same jokes now. Uh, Things you didn't do originally. Things that weren't part of who you were, who you were in quotation marks, before you met them, before you engaged with them. You know, you pick up their habits, uh, you pick up their one habit, you know, and this movie takes that phenomenon and just runs with it. And, you know, it, it, and it's not like it gets to the end zone and it stops. It keeps going out through the field, into the parking lot, over the highway you know, over state line, it just does not stop running with this premise. And I loved it. I loved that so much. I think 
this intricate story and and watching as these brilliant performers Duval, Spacek, and I, I think Janice Rule is the third woman. Uh, they their performances. I think maybe it's Ruth Nelson. Hmm. I'm not sure. Suffice to say, Spacek, Duval, and and Ruth Nelson or, or Janice Rule, all three of them undergo so many personality shifts in this film as they act like each other act like you know a combination of each other and and they trade personalities and steal identity it's it's so it it just doesn't feel it's a thing that i i know to my no know to be you know not you know this doesn't really happen does it you know, the whole time you're thinking like this, uh, this would be very, very odd, and and not just odd, but nigh impossible in real life to happen, and yet you see it on on in this movie, and it just feels right. I, I don't know how else to explain it. I, you know, I saw this; it became my favorite film from 1977. And the, just, I don't know, the performances, the direction, the writing, the editing, uh, you know, the juxtaposition between not only the characters and each other, but uh, the, these, this, this weird world that they each share with each other, and then everything that's happening around them, and how all that sort of culminates in this fantastic film. Uh, fantastic, you know, as a positive, but fantastic and like otherworldly too. I don't know. It, it just it blew me away. It blew me away. Three women from 1977, directed by Robert Altman. That is my number three. Number two, the oldest film on this list. I saw this March 13th, 2018. It is 87 minutes long. From 1936, we're going way back. Uh, my summary, industry poses a problem for the tramp. I gave this a 96. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by Charlie Chaplin. Starring Charlie Chaplin and Paulette Goddard, Henry Bergman, among others. Is the 90, 92nd highest rated film in the in, on Letterboxd overall. Modern times modern times you know it's it's i don't know I don't, is, is it cliche to say that chaplin is is one of the greats i don't I, I guess a little this is my i just i i, I love charles chaplin modern times is my favorite of his films um not by not by a significant a huge margin, but by a very very slim margin. I love modern times, and it's not just gag 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 gag. Uh, some of his films are that, and those aren't bad. But modern times has you know it, it just it for me the added layer 
of Paulette Goddard as this brilliant homeless woman that sort of the tramp kind of finds and responds to and they kind of develop this weird relationship together that is you know that that puts everything together it adds a through line to modern times that make that elevates it above some other stuff you know this and the kid are enough are are, are narratively driven enough to push them into this realm of incredible films and and that's not even including the fact that you just just the gags are so incredible they're hilarious every single segment in the department store in the restaurant in the industrial factory uh chaplin is just his physical humor is i can't really say unmatched and unparalleled but it is absolutely top tier absolutely top tier and modern times is one of the best examples of his physical humor his his writing is is great he directed produced wrote edited and composed this movie like he he did so much of it and it's just it's magnificent it's it's incredible charles chaplin modern times it's my number two <laughs> it's just so good I, I it's just so good i could just i could talk about the gags and, and the gears oh my goodness and and just skating around the the uh the department store and and just it's wonderful it's so much fun so much fun but that brings me to my number one best movie I saw in 2018 that did not come out in 2018. Best movie I saw for the first time in 2018 that did not come out in 2018. If you've noticed, uh, if you've if you've paid attention to the day of the month I saw these movies, Modern Times, March, and then we're going backwards. We're looking at May, April, February. Uh, May, March, May, February, and uh, April. All of these movies came from the first half of the year. Uh, not that I stopped watching um, old movies after that, but definitely further into the year, you know, 2018 films kind of took over a little bit. Uh and especially the last few months, working on my my book and writing and stuff, didn't give me a lot of time to go back uh, as much as I would have liked. So, yeah, a lot of they're all from the early part of the year, and this one is no different. From March tenth, two thousand eighteen, ninety six minutes. It is another foreign language film. It is from nineteen sixty two. My summary: A crafty samurai helps some young men save a framed man. I gave this a 97%. I gave this a 97. It has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Directed by one of the all-time greats, Akira Kurosawa, director of Seven Samurai, Rashomon, Ran, Ikiru, High and Low, Throne of Blood, The Hidden Fortress, Dreams, Stray Dog, and Yojimbo. 
This is the sequel and companion piece to Yojimbo, Sanjuro. 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 Starring Toshiro Mufune, Tatsuya Nakadai, Keiju Kobayashi, Yuzo Kayama, and Takashi Shimura. It's it's just it's just incredible. It combines brilliant. It it, it juxtaposes Mifune's obvious, you know, leading man, tough guy, strength character. This this jaded samurai. It juxtaposes that as into into comedy a lot of times and he interacts with all these young warriors these this this these kids you know he's you know in his late 30s maybe at this time and i just i i adored it the action is brilliant mifune is still and forever will be, in my opinion, the, the a sword master of, uh, at least in, on film, you know, the greatest swordsman on film. His strength, his, uh, just his, his presence is so powerful and so intimidating. And then you take that character and you put him into this kind of silly situation where he's playing people against each other where he's on one side uh training new people to you know be warriors to be proper samurai and then on the other side he's just he's running just circles around these trained warriors these trained guys uh who this this army who don't really know what he's doing, what's happening, how it's working. He's just I don't I don't know I don't know how to It takes his character from Yojimbo and he becomes another it's it's the man with no name sort of thing going on here. Sanjiro is the name he calls himself in this movie. Yojimbo is what he calls himself in the other film. The writing is incredible. It's humorous, uh, com- comedic relief, and uh, it's some fantastic, the best action, just the best action. And that's not even to mention the supporting cast. Tatsuya Nakadai, one of my favorite actors. Uh, I may even like him more than Mifune. Uh, so much so, I would even say that. Nakadai is currently the number one ranked actor on my spreadsheet. His, in, in, in Sanjiro, he plays uh, Hanbei Moroto, who is the antagonist of the film. And just watching him get duped over and over and over again by Mifune is amazing. You know, it's one of those things where... I know what this character's purpose, I know what's going to happen to this character throughout this movie. They're just going to get made fun of and made fun of and deceived. And, and yet it, it just... Nakadai is so great at playing that character and making it feel 
real. Their their chemistry is perfect. Definitely, definitely see Yojimbo before Sanjuro. I think both are fantastic, fantastic films. Uh, Sanjuro, uh, not only... Um, uh, not only my number one film from 2018 that I saw before 2018, but... Or my film from before 2018 that I saw in 2018. My favorite Kurosawa film. Straight up. Um, yeah, I just... It's it's a marvel. I love Sanjuro so much. Uh, and that's my number one. Sanjuro. From Kira Kurosawa from 1962. So here's the top ten one more time. Caged from 1950. The Cove from 2009. Talk to Her 2002. The Treasure of the Sierra Madre from 1948. Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring 2003. Ace in the Hole 1951. Show Me Love, 1998, Three Women, 1977, Modern Times, 1936, and Sanjuro, 1962. I, this is such a strong top 10. I can't fathom seeing this high, this amount, this number of high quality films again uh, from previous years uh, in 2019, but I would absolutely adore being able to do that. Uh, you know, fingers crossed that it happens. I would love that. And I, I wish the same for everyone else. I think there's never a bad time to discover an old film, a good old film. And there's so, so, so many, so many out there. And this is just 10 of them that, in my, these, in my opinion, here's 10 of them. Uh, so, yeah. This is that was my top ten movies I saw in twenty eighteen for the first time that came out before twenty eighteen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It does mean a lot. If you would like to check out more episodes, you can find this find the Circle Film Podcast most places that podcasts can be found, including my website circlefilm.com, where you can find previous episodes, uh, top ten lists. Circle of Film Award nominations uh, for twenty eighteen. Those are very close to being final and uh, much, much more. You can get in touch with me about any and everything on Twitter, at Circle of Film, or through email, circleoffilm at gmail.com. Or find me on Letterboxd, uh, letterboxd slash Circle of Film. If you would like to support the show, you can do so for as little as eight cents an episode over on patreon.com slash Circle of Film, or uh, alternatively, you can head over to iTunes and rate and review. Because that is just as helpful. And we like all the things. And that's it. Uh, Thank you for listening to today's episode. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me. Even as she fades from view. So long. Nothing's really left or lost without a trace. Nothing's gone forever, only out of place. So long, farewell, oh, what I'll be to say. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.